just wanted us to pick up on a few little bits in those three verses this morning that maybe helps us just to then have a look as a a kind of an introduction to studying the book of Acts. The, the, The first thing that is probably helpful to say is just to give it a little bit of context you see right there in the beginning of verse 1, in my former book, Theophilus, some of you may know this, some of you may not know this, but, but Acts is credited to have been written by uh, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And, and Luke's Gospel, if you were to turn to the very beginning of Luke's Gospel, has the same uh, recipient as, uh, as Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. He, he wrote to most excellent Theophilus. And it's kind of hard for us to know exactly who this Theophilus was, but there's a, there's a sense that this person that Luke was writing to was probably uh, a Roman uh, official, probably someone fairly senior. Certainly it's, it's, it's felt that he wasn't a Jew. And uh, Luke, in fact, is, is really the only uh, non-Jewish writer of the New Testament books that we know of. And so this, this book where he's writing to Theophilus, whoever he is, he's trying to write something that, that sets out the wonder and the, the majesty, first of the gospel, of the story of Jesus' birth, life, death and resurrection. And then here, to give us the next Stage, if you like, the next volume in what's going on. Luke is very careful in this gospel to try and set out something that is really helpful to, to, to the audience that he's writing to. One of the reasons that it's, it seems likely that, uh, that Theophilus was a kind of a high-ranking Roman official is that actually throughout the, the book of Acts, there are indications that Luke is trying to say, look, we Christians are kind of bona fide people. And we see that, that actually that there are many people in the Roman government and institutions that, that treat us well because we are not lawbreakers. So in chapter 13 and chapter 18, there's, there's a sense that, that there are Roman officials who hear what is being done and said and actually find favour with the Christians, even though it was a time of massive persecution for the church. Christian, being a Christian, being a follower of the way was a very, very unpopular thing to do. But one of the things that Luke is trying to do is to say, actually, no, this is, this, is, this is genuine. This is good. And if you look, our lives are reflecting that. And where we can follow being loyal and good citizens, we will do so. So again, chapter 17, 18 and chapter 19, there are instances of, of, of the Christians being obedient citizens of the country. And so Luke, he's, he's trying to kind of give that, that picture of what it is to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. And he sets the scene right here at the beginning of Acts by talking 
about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Striking that in verse 1, that I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. You'd think, actually, with the story as it is, Jesus has died, has risen, and and Luke, just at the beginning of, of Acts, talks about him ascending to heaven. That would seem, for all the world, to be the completion of the story. But it was just the beginning. And Luke is trying to get us to see, actually, Jesus has just begun to do what he came to do by his ministry on earth. And it's a great springboard into Acts because actually, here is the continuation of what Jesus is doing. And today, if you like, we could almost be Acts chapter 29 as Jesus continues to do and to teach through his words by the power of the Spirit, in the lives of those who would seek to follow him and honour him. In a sense, Luke's Gospel. Does anyone remember the Generation Game? I can't remember how, how long ago the Generation Game stopped. But the Generation Game, Bruce Forsyth, all that kind of stuff. There was always a kind of a, a, a game in the Generation Game, wasn't there? Where there was some expert. I have kind of welded in my head kind of potters that would come in and they'd kind of throw a a pot on a wheel, wouldn't they? And they'd make it look so easy. Amazing pot with no effort at all. And then the poor contestants would be put in front of a potter's wheel. Just going absolutely everywhere, clay and muck and stuff. The audience loving it and laughing at the awful offerings of the contestants. Well, I'm not sure that the book of Acts is like the generation game, but if you like, Luke's gospel is the demonstration, Jesus' life and ministry, setting it out and setting out what it is to be in the kingdom of God. And actually, the book of Acts sees people taking what Jesus has done and seeking to do what he has asked them to do. And so it's not God kind of sitting there laughing at people not managing to do as well as Jesus, but actually God enabling people to follow where Jesus started. In verse 3 of this first little passage, Luke says that, that after his suffering, he showed himself to, to these men, the apostles, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, convincing proof that he was and he is God. So that those apostles who saw him, Luke, who we don't think actually saw Jesus, but but learnt from the apostles and made an account that was accurate and historical, by the way, yes, historical, that we can have confidence in. Luke was thorough in finding out and reporting what happened. So the apostles and Luke, and indeed we, can have confidence in the risen Jesus, who did as he said he would. He said he was going to come, that he was going to be tried, that he was going to be crucified, that he would die and rise again, and that he would see his first followers again. And he did just that. And Luke has recorded that. 
And he showed us, Jesus, what the kingdom of God is like. If you look back in the Gospels, there's so many instances of Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is like this. And so often it's very counter to our culture. See, the kingdom of God is a place of forgiveness where there is bitterness. The kingdom of God is a place of mercy where there is legalism. The kingdom of God is a place of love where there is hatred. The kingdom of God is a place of challenge where there is conformity. Of grace where there is mean-spiritedness. Of the power of God where there's a reliance on man. The kingdom of God is a place of faith where there is a reliance on tradition. Things that are very countercultural. And Luke presents this kingdom living to us in the book of Acts. Throughout the book of Acts, from chapter 1 to chapter 28, actually charts the start of the spread of the good news from Jerusalem all the way to the centre of the civilised world in, in Rome by chapter 28, in one generation, in spite of persecution, in spite of the difficulty of travel. The gospel of Jesus Christ reached in a generation from Jerusalem to Rome. And as Luke explains this in Acts, he shows us that the church was born. We had our birth in the book of Acts. And he shows us that we've been born to proclaim his word. But not just to proclaim his word, but to demonstrate his life. And again, throughout Acts, those two things go hand in hand. Proclamation of his word and demonstration that it's not just words, but it actually translates into action in real people's lives, ordinary people's lives, people's lives like yours and mine. It's an exciting book. Because it says that actually as each person came to follow Jesus, they became a part of this body, the church. Just as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, every Christian is a part of the body of the church, and that includes you and me. It's, it's a book that presents many different individuals, principally two people. Anyone know the two principal characters of, of Acts? Go on. The Holy Spirit is... Oh, that's a third one. Yeah, I'm coming on to that. Thank you, Paul. Very good. Very good. But there's Peter and there's Paul. First little bit of, of Acts really accounts a lot of, of Peter's activity. Remember Peter who denied Jesus, even though he said, no, I'll never do that, Lord. And then he finds himself ashamed. Then in John's Gospel, restored. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, a fallible, frail man, could easily have thought, oh, I have messed up so much. And yet we see Peter trying to live out the word that Jesus had taught him and seeing God at work through the Holy Spirit in amazing ways.
Then the second half of Acts looks really a a, a lot of, of what Paul did from his amazing conversion. Huge turnaround in his life. And just an incredible story of bravery, determination and a total reliance on the Holy Spirit. But alongside those people, there are many, 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 countless others who are never named, but who are clearly followers of Jesus, who are part of that body, who see God at work. And it's so wonderful to see all the different people that are involved in the Acts of the Apostles. And it kind of reminds us that actually, although we come to faith individually, and that's crucial that we come to faith in Jesus Christ as individuals, we don't remain as individuals, but we become a part of a body of people seeking to serve him, and not just to serve him, but to be fed by one another and by him. And so there are so many people that just get on with following Jesus. You know, I've heard it said that God doesn't require extraordinary people to do his extraordinary things. just requires ordinary people to do things extraordinarily in the power of the Spirit. So that includes all of us, because we are ordinary people. I am an ordinary man. You are ordinary men and women. But all that God requires of us is that we serve him. As we saw in in Matthew's gospel, that passage we read, we can't serve two gods, but we serve one God. And as we do that wholeheartedly, then we can be used by God. I wanted us just for a a couple of minutes just to think about two things that are characterised by this book of Acts. And Paul has already picked up on one of them. Because actually, probably the main character throughout the Bible indeed is God. And in Acts, we see a dependence on the Holy Spirit, part of of, of the Godhead, promised to us that when Jesus ascended to heaven, he would give us his Holy Spirit. And he is still with us today. And he is the one who will give us life and breath. Beautiful bit in John's Gospel where he appears to the disciples and he breathes on the disciples. And breathes life and his Holy Spirit into the disciples. And actually the word that's used is is exactly the same idea as is in Genesis when when God breathes life into the first human being. And so Jesus breathes his Holy Spirit and breathes life into those first disciples. It's a bit like a glove, if you like, how the Holy Spirit can work in our lives. A glove is a great thing. These have had a lot of use this winter because it's been a bit parky. But a glove looks like a hand, doesn't it? It's got a thumb and four fingers and a palm and all that kind of stuff. But a glove actually isn't a hand. 
And it's only as you put your hand into the glove that it becomes alive and, 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 and useful, if you like. And it's, a, it's an analogy you can't go too far with. But actually, allowing God's Holy Spirit to be breathed upon us is like putting a hand into a glove, and we being the glove, suddenly we are enabled and empowered as the hand of the Holy Spirit goes into the glove. Without the Holy Spirit, we might look like a Christian. We might even try and behave like we think a Christian should behave. But without the reality of God breathing into our lives, we are, to all intents and purposes, dead. See, as Jesus breathed out his Holy Spirit, as we see in the next few verses of of the book of Acts, as the Holy Spirit comes upon those first disciples, life and and breath and power is breathed into them. And we see that in, in his fruit, we are enabled to demonstrate God's character. And in his gifts, we are enabled to demonstrate his conduct, his behaviour. See, being filled with the Holy Spirit isn't about waving your hands in the air or speaking in tongues. All those, those things are perfectly possible. But actually it's about allowing the power of God to shape us. It's allowing the power of God to use us and strengthen us. Ordinary people in extraordinary ways. And so as we look through the book of Acts, we'll see how God is at work through his Holy Spirit. And we can be encouraged and challenged to see that God wants to work in us today. Maybe not in exactly the same way, but he wants us to see him at work. And yes, he wants to work extraordinarily, miraculously. We see it. And we want to see more of that. So the Holy Spirit, he is an integral part to the book of Acts and how he enables those first ordinary people to do extraordinary things. But the second thing that's a huge characteristic of the book of Acts is that actually it's characterised by prayer. Prayer where it's more than just a a cursory thing that we do when we're in a fix and we think, oh, I better just send up a quick prayer to God, although it's good to pray at all times. Absolutely, amen. But often our prayer is, is tending towards trying to bring God into my world and tell him what I need him to do. But actually, the prayer that's characteristic of the book of Acts is asking God to show what his world is and what his mind and thinking is and showing us how we can serve his purposes. And we'll see that in this book time and again as people are gathered together, as people are praying on their own. 
book of Acts is it's quite an uncomfortable book to read. It's quite a challenging book to read. But read it, please. Ask God to speak to you as you read it. And remember this, this is dead obvious, but actually it's kind of hard for us sometimes to, to get our heads around. The book of Acts, when, when these things happened, these people had no idea what was going to happen. They had no idea what the next second held for them, just like you and I. We've got no idea what the next hour holds for us. These folk, they were dependent on God. They were asking God for help. And they were depending on him in an incredible way. Not in a kind of a a fatalistic sort of, well, yeah, what will happen will happen. But actually in a kind of a hanging on to a climbing rope thinking, I jolly well hope that this is strong enough to hold me kind of a way. These people had no idea what was going to happen. When Peter and John went to pray and they met a lame man on the way and he held out his palm and they gave him some arms, they had no idea that he was going to jump up, healed. But they just did what they were led to do. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Challenging stuff. Stuff that we can't relive blow by blow. But my prayer is that we'll be inspired and excited by the book of Acts. That we'll be challenged and we'll be encouraged by the book of Acts. That we can be another bit of his church in action, as we already are. But please, Lord, let it be more so that we are his church in action. Learning how we can depend more and more on him. Let's be looking for God at work as we continue to study this book. I want to just read as we come towards the end of our time together from a preface that uh, J.B. Phillips wrote, actually to, to, the, uh, to, the, to the letters that Paul wrote. But actually his words are really helpful for this beginning time as well. It says this in the preface to the letters to the young churches. We need to remember that this book was written and the lives that, was le- that were led were led against the background of paganism. That sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? There were no churches, no Sundays, no books about faith, slavery, sexual immorality, cruelty, callousness to human suffering were universal. Travelling and communications were chancy and perilous. Most people were illiterate. Now many Christians today talk about the difficulties of our times. As though we ought to wait for better ones before Christian faith can take root. But it's heartening to remember that this faith took root and flourished amazingly in conditions that would have killed anything less vital in a matter of weeks. These early Christians were on fire with the conviction that they had become, through Jesus Christ, literally sons and daughters of God. They were pioneers of a new humanity, founders of a new kingdom. And they still speak to us across the centuries. 
perhaps if we caught a hold of what they believed, as they believed it, we might achieve what they achieved. Challenging words. Exciting times. Let's go on an adventure together as we look at the young church in action and be expectant that God will teach us. God will build us up. God will use us. And God will give us new heart and sight for his kingdom here in Fifehead, in Curry Rival and Curry Mallet and Langport and Somerton and Ilminster and Yeovil and looking around the congregation in, 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 in uh, Horton and, and in, in Henley and everywhere, in, in Wick, over on the, the, the moor, everywhere that we are, that we will see and be kingdom people 